As I thought about um, preaching this morning, it really did, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it really did come to mind as we have Valentine's Day coming up. This particular passage that did come to mind, Ephesians 5, this passage that is the, the most profound, the most helpful, the most mysterious, the most wonderful writing ever produced, d- direct from God about our roles for our relationships in the church and with one another, in our marriages. And most importantly, most importantly it points to Jesus Christ more than, more than anything else. But before I read this passage, um, this passage, in my experience, I've been a minister for some time, Reading this passage, I have gotten so many strong responses through the years. Reading it at weddings, in worship services, about to preach it, even before I say anything. People are kind of moved and challenged, and some are downright upset. I had a lady tell a bride right after a wedding. She came up to the bride and said, you don't have to listen to anything that preacher said. And if I'm not mistaken, I think she said that before I even said anything. It was what Paul said. It wasn't what I said. There's a lot of confusion in our culture, isn't there, about what people are for. What's a man? What's a woman? What's a marriage? What's a relationship? What's love? What is all that stuff? that we talk so glibly about all the time. We're often confused. There was a, an article in the New York Times a couple of, uh, couple of weekends ago, that, that, that bastion of conservative thought up north a couple of weekends ago. And the, 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 what, stuck, what struck me as I was reading it was the word Presbyterian. And the man who wrote this article said, look, people in this country can choose to be Presbyterians. They can choose to be Buddhists. They can choose to be Mormons. Why can't they choose whom they will marry? They can choose to own a gun or not. Why can't they choose their gender role? He says, essential to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is my gender choice. So I don't have to tell you, there's a lot of confusion in in our culture about gender roles. But another reason why people often um, uh, perk up and and respond to this, let's, let's be frank, is your own personal experience. Maybe you are living in a difficult marriage. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're remarried. Maybe you saw in your own home growing up the relationship with your parents wasn't so good. I'm not here. I'm chief of sinners here. I'm not here to point a bony finger at anybody. We're all sinners. And... As my mother-in-law always says, this is the first day of the rest of your life. 
Where do we go from here is the question. Where do we go from here? If you are single, if you are married, if you're divorced, if you're remarried, if, you're, if your heart has been broken and you want to be married and you're not. Some of you will be called by God to singleness. And some of you are. And boy, I've seen some people embrace that and it's just a beautiful thing. Let me say this at the outset. This passage is for every one of you. If you're this tall, if you're this tall, if you're male, female, young, not so young, whatever. It's for everybody here. This passage is for everybody. And it is a profound mystery. Let's read it. This is the word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 33. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of love and awe. Commitment. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife Loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one 
flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Cindy and I just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. We got married back when the, the crust of the earth was cooling. And, and we just celebrate. It's, and it, it, we've, we've been married for 30 years and it's been the best 29 years of our lives. The first year was awful. It was awful. It was brutal. Thought, what have we done? This mystery is profound. But the Lord has blessed us uh, through the years. I... Um, I remember when we decided that we were going to go into the ministry together. We see it as a partnership. And so we came to RTS Jackson, uh, Reform Seminary. And one of the first things they did with us, unbeknownst to us, was they, they sat down with, a, with all the new students, all the new single or married students, everybody, and sat down with us, and they did a personality profile and talent and gift inventory to try to figure out what we're good at and what we're not good at and quite frankly how we're doing in our relationship uh, before we de- before we decide we're going off to serve God in the ministry and after we filled out all these forms I remember coming into the room I remember the place I remember the room I remember the counselor I remember her face and I remember her knitted brow And I remember what she said. She said, Brad, Cindy, do you all ever have conflicts in your marriage? And I, I, my first response was, who wants to know? (laughs) Yes, we do. We're, We're two very different personalities. Yes, we do. We, we feel strongly about things and we, we disagree. We come from very different backgrounds, very different life experiences, very different uh, parents, everything's very, very different. She said, yeah, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna need to work on that and it's going to be an issue, but something that I'm seeing, I'm seeing a pattern here in my evaluation of you. you both of you seem to understand that it is Christ and him alone who will get you through this both of you seem to understand that having Christ at the center of your heart and at the center of your relationship is absolutely key to your marriage And therefore, to your ministry and your life. My goodness. Day in and day out and day in and day out, we have found, we have have lived that. We have experienced that. All the difference that it makes when, when Christ is the focus, Christ is the center, and when he's not. 
when I become the most important thing. Well, there's so many things here, and, and you've heard preachers on a number of occasions, you know, preachers will come up with one point, two points, three points, one big idea, whatever. There's so much here. I'm going to just make several observations about this passage. Several key observations that I think are vital to you as an individual. If you want to get married someday, if you want to join a church someday, if you're a member of a church... And if you want to know and love Jesus Christ, that pretty much applies to all of us. First, this passage gives us an entire worldview. It it points to the reality that, you know, that time began, the Bible began with a wedding. Go back to Genesis chapter 2 and you see... A wedding, a man and a woman coming together, Adam and Eve, and God bringing them together and officiating at their marriage, their wedding. The Bible begins, time begins with a wedding. Go to the last chapter of Revelation and you will see that time ends with a wedding, which is really the beginning. The Bible begins and ends with a wedding, a marriage. Now that ought to make us sit up and, whoa, that ought to make us sit up and listen. If the Bible itself, the bookends of God's word are weddings. This must be something really important. Don't miss that. Secondly, it is Christians. Look, one of, the thing, one of the things that's leveled at us quite often as Christians, you're narrow. You want everybody to be the same. You want everybody to be like you. No, no, it's Christians. It's Christians who have a, a God who is a trinity. One essence in three persons. God, three very different persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all in relationship with one another. It's, it's amazing. God is a relationship in one sense. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is one man with two natures. It's amazing. It's a, it's a mystery. And then, and then, to reflect all of that, we have a, a man and a woman. Now, you know this. Men and women are very different. What was Adam's problem. He was alone. He was lonely. And God takes the rib and forms Eve and brings Eve to Adam. And the first recorded words in history of a human being are of a man seeing a woman who will be his wife. And if you have a good Bible, which I'm sure you'll do, you'll see that that passage is written in poetry. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. And in the vernacular, wow! She, well, she works, but she's very different from me. 
And she is brought by God to complete and complement. It's Christians who affirm diversity and difference and compatibility and companionship and completing one another in relationships. Thirdly, another observation. This is only made possible. And you see it in 521. This is only made possible this companionship, this completion, this relationship by mutual sacrifice and submission and service to one another. Behind this word, by the way, submission is a military word. And the picture, the picture is actually of a soldier giving up his life for a greater good. The the picture is of a soldier giving up his life, sacrificing himself in in a battle for something bigger and larger than himself. Submit to one another. Mutual sacrifice and service. And we can see already, another point, we can see already why even people who are not Christians can have up to a point good marriages up to a point because they they understand the importance of, of diversity and completing one another and service and sacrifice. But, and don't, don't miss this, verse 18, Paul is saying, be filled. Before we get into all of these role responsibilities, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. He's essentially saying, are you a Christian? Does Jesus Christ live inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit? If he doesn't, you will never experience marriage the way it is designed to be. Yes, up to a point you can have a decent relationship. But Paul is saying, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you a believer? Are you trusting in Christ? Let's make sure that we get this straight. In other words, are you, are you running on the right fuel, the right power, according to the design? You have, do you have a new heart? Are you born again? Do you have eyes and hearts to see Paul is saying, as we get into these specifics, uh, let's, let's make sure of that. But the most important thing, the most profound thing, we, we can't miss here more than anything else we need to see, is that every marriage points to Jesus' marriage. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus wasn't married, right? Oh, yes, he was. According to Paul, oh yes he was, he was married to his bride, you. And he went to hell and back for you. Every marriage, whether we like it or not, is a picture of the gospel. I want to read you something portion from a letter 
but I need to say this before I read it. You do not know this person. This person is not a member of this church. This person has never been to this church. This person lives in another state, and this person is not even a part of this denomination. So don't try to figure out who it is. You do not know this person. Now, I suppose some wacky, by some wacky happenstance you could, but I don't think anybody in here knows these people. Listen to this letter. Very short. This is from a man to a woman. They're married. I'm moving forward with my life. I need to move forward with my life. You need to move forward with your life. It is what it is. I am not going to reconcile. I'm quite clear on this. Please understand. Please accept this. I cannot move forward with you any longer. I just cannot. I have to honor myself. I have self-worth and dignity. I need love. I want love. I know you want and need love too. I'm not going to allow myself to be disrespected by you anymore or anyone else. I will not tolerate disrespect to me ever again. Sign the papers. Or I will have you served. Very different kind of service. And I had the opportunity to talk to this, this man. And I, for some reason, I, I felt that when I met with him, it was best not to initially talk to him about his vows to his wife. Those are vitally important. I asked him, what vows did you make to the bride of Christ? You're a member of a church. He's a member of a great church, a solid church, a Bible-preaching church. What vows did you make to the bride of Christ? Remember, I told him, that Christ died for that bride. What did you promise her? I'll never forget his response. He had joined. He'd gone through inquirers and he'd joined. He said, I don't remember. He said, you need to call the pastors and find out what your vows were. And what you promised. Now we can talk more about your, your vows to your bride. Jesus Christ gave his life for the church, for the bride. And every relationship, every marriage points to that and we are called this is this is now getting to the very heart of a marriage mutual sacrifice mutual service mutual dying to self cs lewis says the husband is the head of the wife just insofar as he is to her what christ is to the church 
He is to love her as Christ loved the church. This headship then is most fully embodied in him whose marriage is most like a crucifixion. Strong words. Strong words. Jesus went to hell and back for his bride, the church. Jesus sacrificed himself uh, for the church. Not because she was pure, not because she was perfect. It's a marriage. It's a marriage, biblically, that we didn't even want. He pursued us. Earlier in the letter, Paul says, By grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. Nobody can boast. Christ came to die, but Christ didn't just see us as we are. He saw us for what we can be and what we will be in him. He saw our future glory. What we, what we can be. And Jesus, praise God, Jesus never says, look, you don't meet my expectations. You have been unfaithful. You've been deceitful. You've lied to me. I don't have to put up with the way you're treating me. I deserve to be respected. I take it all back. You owe me everything and I take it all back. But he could have. He didn't, but he could have. He could have legitimately. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul says, men, out of love for Jesus Christ, submit, take on leadership, headship, be a spiritual leader, and die for your wife. If I would have wrote that, I would have, wouldn't have written, that's what Paul's saying, and how true it is. I've said this before on a number of occasions. In my experience through the years in ministry, most of the, the women that I know, whether they want to be married or have been married or are married now, they want men to be spiritual leaders. They want men to embrace what it is to be a spiritual leader and, and to, to take that on, to embrace that. A wife gives up her name a husband gives up his life. And people get all bent out of shape about the, the submission here. Men, you're called to die to yourself. The example, men, is Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. What he does for his bride. A, a woman is called out of love for, for Jesus Christ to submit to the leadership of her husband. Knowing that you've married a, a sinner. Mutual fulfillment, mutual sacrifice, unique roles. 
all pointing again to Jesus Christ. Let's sum it up this way. God is the source, Jesus is the pattern, and the Holy Spirit is the power, the the fuel for marriage. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It's from God. Jesus being the pattern. We see it in Ephesians 5, but we also see it in in a verse like Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking on the form of a servant, a slave, a bondservant, and made himself in the likeness of men. The Holy Spirit, the power, the the fuel. Uh, John 14, 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. He will make your heart his home. I'll conclude with this. We have had, um, oh, really beginning back in the 70s and 80s, we've, we've got great marriage conferences and great uh, marriage books and and all kinds of wonderful resources to to help us walk through these relationships biblically. And yet, the the patterns in the Christian communities follow the pattern. The the, the divorce rates and, and all the other stats seem to follow right along and right behind with the rest of the culture. Why is that? I'm convinced, um, I'm convinced that one of the primary reasons is our arms are so full of idols. The things that we treasure, the things that we live for, the things that we thirst for, that if you just drop them and receive the grace and love of Jesus Christ... And you can make idols of good things. You know, your, your family can be the most important thing. And, it, 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 and everybody else suffers that's, that's not in the, the family. Your friendships can become cliques and clubs when you place those things at the center of your, your life. And this person that you live with or you love, whether it's a friend or whether it, it's, a, it's a partner in, in marriage, you suddenly expect this person to fulfill all of your needs. You expect this person to be, to be God. And that person himself or herself becomes an idol. And going down this road will break your heart every time. Make Jesus your idol. There's one thing you can make an idol. You can make Jesus your idol. Place Jesus right at the center of your life, at the center of your heart, at the center of your marriage, at the center of your relationships, at the center of your church, at the center of your fellowships. And the rest will fall into place. Will it fall into place perfectly? No. It's a fallen, sinful world. But you will get tastes. You will get tastes 
of what these friendships, family, marital love, what they are designed to be, and you will get tastes that will be completely fulfilled at the final wedding ceremony in Revelation 22 when Christ comes back for his bride, the church. What does it say? Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, the church, say, Come, let the one who hears say, Come, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Do you th- do you, are you thirsting for something better? Are you thirsting for something more? Are you thirsting for more in all of your relationships? Come back to the relationship that matters most. Come back. To Jesus Christ. Every day. Let's pray. Lord we pray that you would be our vision. We pray that you would be our hope. We pray that you would be. At the center of our lives. And we pray as, as we are bombarded. With all kinds of crazy messages. From our culture. About relationships that we would say no that we would say no and we would come as we see this this wedding invitation the bible ending with a wedding invitation inviting all of us to come that we would come to jesus for the first time maybe we need to come home To Jesus. Like the prodigal son. I don't know. But Lord you know everyone's heart. Give us a thirst. Quench that thirst. And give us a deep. Deep love. For Jesus Christ. Knowing that. He gave his life for us. His bride. The church. And Lord. Help us to do that. To, to follow that example for one another here in this church and in all of our relationships. And we pray all of these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.